0: Nobody likes to sacrifice. Somebody really chooses to sacrifice. But today I want to talk about that in a way that I think my grandparents and great grandparents' generation would have been, would have thought ordinary. And certainly, uh, centuries ago, Christians would have thought ordinary, but today seems a little extraordinary. So how can we go back to what they used to call ordinary? Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word that is living and active, and we are going to trust you right now to be our teacher. Teach us, Lord. Through Christ we pray. Amen. I'm struck by the language that the Apostle Paul uses more than once when he writes. Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, for instance, Paul writes, I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Now, the picture that Paul is uh, using there really goes to uh, pagan worship, where they would make offerings of of, of libations to um, to, to to the gods, you know, and it would be poured out as a offering, a drink offering to those gods. The Apostle Paul says, I am allowing myself to be, I choose to be poured out to God, on the sacrifice and service for your faith. Here's my question. What are you willing to sacrifice for? The Super Bowl was played recently, and it's a pretty good example of reminding us that people still do pour themselves out for things that they think really matter. But there are a lot of people that poured out themselves so that those football players could be in the Super Bowl. From the time those kids were young playing football to their parents sacrificing to the going to the practices and making the payments, there's a lot of pouring out behind the scenes necessary before you ever get to the Super Bowl in the first place. It's not unusual for people today to pour themselves out for sports. Kids today are being recruited for travel sports by the time they're like seven, eight, nine years old, even at the latest. And when they say yes to some travel sport, it is expected that they will pay the price. They will sacrifice. They will pour themselves out for the service of the cause so they can be on the team or else they're off the team. Many of you have sacrificed for an education, time, and money. We sacrifice to advance careers, to build up savings, to accomplish goals, to stay healthy. What are you willing to sacrifice yourself for? Really sacrifice. Who are you willing to sacrifice yourself for? Parents are usually willing to sacrifice for children. Spouses will sacrifice for spouses sometimes. Friends will sacrifice for friends, pour themselves out occasionally. People will pour themselves out for the church From time to time, silly people pour themselves out for their pets, cats, go to unusual lengths these days. The Apostle Paul says he's actually glad to pour himself out. It's the picture of really surrendering himself so that the people that he's writing to, the people there in Philippi, for instance, can have faith. In other words... Paul anticipates that these people in Philippi, as well as Christians in other places, if they're going to know Jesus, he is going to have to make some sacrifices, but he's glad to. He's glad to make that sacrifice. It's an offering to God being poured out on the behalf of faith and in others, for others. Paul's example, of course, challenges us, does it not? what am I willing to sacrifice my life for? Am I ready to sacrifice myself, my time, my energy for the faith of others? Or do I just say, what's in it for me? You know, it's a challenge in our generation. We tend to be, I know I tend to be, have an independent spirit. I'm willing to do something as long as I see there's a pragmatic end. As long as perhaps it's not too demanding, as long as there's a payoff at the end, as long as, as it's my idea and somebody else not demanding it from me, as long as I find it fulfilling and maybe consistent with my vision for my life, we tend to put parameters on who and what we will sacrifice for, don't we? For instance, do you say, I will serve as long as I get to choose the place of my serving. When I was in college, there were a lot of kids that I went to school with that were really captured by a calling into missions. I always believed that I was supposed to be a preacher, stay in the United States. Um, And I remember at that time, as a junior and senior in college, as this kind of wave of enthusiasm for overseas missions work, missions work outside the United States was kind of, this wave was kind of going going over to the campus. I always kind of prided myself on saying, you know, that's okay for them, but not for me. And maybe that's because I had a godly conviction of my personal calling. But if I'm really honest, it's also because I didn't want to leave the United States. It's because I felt more comfortable here. It's because... I was willing to be separated from my family for like, if it's like six hours, seven hours, eight hours driving distance. But overseas, back when long distance um, calls were not free, I was never really interested. Have you placed limits on where you will serve God? God, I will serve you As long as it's not in the ministry or not in the nursery, I will serve you. As long as it's not in the setup crew, just kind of setting up chairs or or picking up garbage in the parking lot on Sunday mornings. As long as it's not outside of my giftedness, I would be comfortable with that. As long as it's consistent with my experience and my expertise, my education, I will. I'll serve you as long as it doesn't require me to leave my family behind. Be careful where you tell God you are not willing to go. Remember Jonah? Jonah said, I think Jonah probably was like, God, I will serve. I will go to anybody as long as it's the people of Israel. I will serve anywhere as long as it's within the borders of Israel. And God says, "Okay, Jonah, <clears throat> go to the go to Nineveh. Go to the Assyrians." And Jonah says, "No thank you." See, the lesson is always be really careful about telling God where you won't serve and who you won't serve <clears throat> because there's a pretty good chance that may be your next assignment, you see. Listen again to Paul's Example. I'm going to get a drink of water here. I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Notice the joy that Paul mentions there. He's glad to make this sacrifice. We think that the life of joy is a life that we control that we determine where we're going to go and who we're going to serve and how much we're going to serve and the parameters in which we'll place, uh, how much we will sacrifice. Paul says, no, I'm glad to be poured out like a drink offering to God for your faith and to serve you. How can we be more like Paul? How can we be glad as we say, God, I will serve you. I will go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do. I will pour myself out for you. I think it's because we desire to hear two words from God. Well done. Acts chapter 20, verse 24, the Apostle Paul writes, I consider my life of no value to me. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. See, Paul's joy is simple. He knew what God had called him to do in this life. He knew his purpose, godly purpose in this world. And Paul said the only value of his life was to fulfill God's purposes for his life. So if Paul's being poured out, if he's pouring out his life to help others, it's because he's pursuing God's purposes for his life. And in pursuing God's purposes, he experiences God's joy. See, women name for people who live like this. It's called hero. See, it takes no character to live for yourself. It takes no character to sing, I did it my way. You know, it takes no character to say, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to take advantage of me. It takes no courage to only do what you want to do. To always live the way that you want to live. To always live by the philosophy of what's in it for me. It takes no courage to measure every decision by your personal benefit. To never sacrifice yourself for somebody else unless you see there's going to be some reward, some benefit, some credit for you. But who are heroes? Heroes are people who land on, who jump on landmines so their buddies can live. Heroes are the people that run up the steps of the World Trade Towers while everybody else is running down. Those who run into danger to save other people's lives while their instincts and everybody else's instincts is to get to safety for themselves. We call people like Paul who are willing to pour themselves out for others for a godly purpose, we call them heroes. What Paul is calling us to is a life that is heroic. What Paul is saying really is, by his own example, is you were made for more than just to seek yourself, to have your own comfort. You were made to be the kind of person who runs into danger, who throws himself on landmines, so others might live. Heroes are moms who wear worn-out shoes so they can afford to buy shoes for their children. Moms who take jobs that are humble and um, maybe don't pay a whole lot, but they need to work the jobs to be able to put milk on the table, and yet their kids never find out. Heroes are dads who work overtime so there's money to put a couple of christmas presents under the tree and the children have no idea that their christmas is more sparse than other kids they think they think it's the best heroes are dads who can say hey you can have that final piece of meat i really don't need it even though they are still hungry and they would enjoy it, but they would rather they would rather one of their children have it instead because he loves you. Heroes. A well, hero is the child, the adult child who cares for the aging parent, even though it means a change of lifestyle. Sacrifice of time and energy and money and uncertainty about the future, except a certainty that you will probably watch that loved one pass in front of you. See, what some people might call being a doormat, allowing yourself to be taken advantage of, of other people sacrificing your own dreams. The Apostle Paul says that's normal for followers of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Remember, Paul says, if you have any encouragement from Christ, any consolation of his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any affection and mercy, if you've received anything from Christ, he says, then make my joy complete by thinking in the same way as Jesus, having the same love as Jesus, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing out of what's in it for me. But in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. Everybody should look not only to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. That's not metaphor. This is just not platitudes. Paul lived it. I'm being poured out, he says, to these people in Philippians, joyfully for your faith. Everyone, verse 4, should look not only to his own interest, but also the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, something to be grasped and held on to. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. And Jesus was the hero. Are you ready to sacrifice like a hero? Are you ready to live like a hero while not thinking you're heroic in the process? Are you ready to serve in a way that may feel like you are pouring yourself out even though other people won't notice, even though other people may not think it's significant, even though others won't remember? Are you willing to be poured out until you feel empty and exhausted because you're not seeking to be served, but just to serve because you're looking not to your own interest, but to the interests of others? Or will you steer clear of work that seems too menial beneath your dignity? See, our world is hungry for churches that will serve like that. As you are aware, if I can share a personal example, we recently experienced a death in our house. Laura's mom um, lived with us for the last three months of her life, and she enjoyed a great Thanksgiving and a wonderful Christmas with us. But after Christmas, she took a turn, And actually, while I was away in Israel, she passed away on a Thursday night. Now, our kids were great, and fortunately, they were here, and they sat up with Laura late into the morning. However, over the next month, as Laura made arrangements for the burial and the funeral, one of the things that impressed us is an observation we've made in previous years as well churches are doing less and less for people less than they used to do when I was a kid if somebody passed away the church would help and it would seem like in almost every way possible so often the answer you'd get is uh, but 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 so often when when um when Laura was in the process of setting up the funeral and, and everything. The answer that we got was, um, you'll have to do that yourself. When I was a kid, for instance, if you're going to do a program for the service, you might just bring the, um, the shells to the, to the church office. The church office may actually have funeral shells themselves and just give them the outline for the service and they'll just print 50, 50 programs. Well, not, not a big deal. They asked Laura, do you think you're going to have programs for the memorial service? Laura said, I'm not sure. That's probably a good idea. The answer was, well, you'll have to do that yourself. When I was a kid, there, were, um, there was a group of people that would always host a meal for families after services like that. They would host meals for other things when people in need. But after a funeral service, it is a time when people are emotional. And it's just a can be such a rich time for family and friends to share a meal together and comfort each other and share stories. And I remember as a kid growing up, there was a group in the church, I think it was maybe the fellowship or the hospitality, I don't know what they were called, but the, um, the they would just take care of everything. They would take care of the tables. They would take care of the food. They would take care of the serving. They would take care of the tablecloths. They would take care of the cleanup. They would be there to serve. And they would do it so joyfully. And people would say, man, I just don't know what I'd do without the church. Well, today, when you ask most churches um, about a meal after a service, they'll say, you can have a room and we'll set up some tables, but you'll have to take care of the rest. Which is fine. I understand. You know why that is? It's because people are so busy and so many people are working these days that there just aren't people who have the time to serve. I get to thinking, is it any wonder people feel like they don't need the church anymore? In times when people have a need for help, when they really could say, man, I don't know what we'd do without the church. The church in modern day too often, is just absent. And people finally say, why do I need the church? They weren't helpful at all. My point here is not, I hate to sound negative, it's certainly not to complain. My point is to throw out the challenge. The Apostle Paul writes, I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with all of you. See, the first challenge is, what's it look like for us individually to follow Jesus' example? Where is God calling you to be poured out and emptied? Where in your life are you being emptied for the service of other people, for the faith building of other people? Is there anything in your life that you're doing in your life this week that you can say, oh man, I'm being poured out? If God doesn't give me the strength, but it's for the purposes that God has called me to serve others so they can build in faith and grow closer to God. Where are you being poured out as an offering to God to serve others? Second, though, my goal is, my thought is this. If I were a business, if I were running a business, one of the questions that I would ask is, how can I become indispensable for the people that I'm trying to reach? You know, how do I do the kind of business that serves so well that people say, I can't imagine not having a computer in my life. I can't imagine not having a, a, you know, a, 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 a cell phone in my life. I can't imagine what would it look like? What do we need to do as a church so that people will say, I can't imagine not having the church in my life? See, we know that people need the Lord. We know that people need the church. It's incumbent on us to serve people, even though it requires sacrifice, in such a way that they will say, I am so thankful for the people of God. I can't imagine what I do without the body of Christ. I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your challenge through the examples of the Apostle Paul, of the great people of the past that we respect, the example of Jesus Christ. I thank you that, as I share this, I can think of my grandparents' generation. I can think of those people in the past that just lived like that because, I don't know, they weren't better people but they just were more ready to sacrifice themselves for others and found joy in that help us lord to find the joy and what gives you joy and in, in the purposes for which you've called us through christ we pray amen thanks for joining next time gonna do part two of this i'm sure you're looking forward to it see you then